Hello, and you're listening to the Convos with Bill podcast. Today, we're here with Frank Kill. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Frank is actually the head varsity coach at Lima Central Catholic for basketball, and he is the assistant athletic director. So you're here to talk a lot about basketball today and a little more about life. So first question we're going to start, you have what three state championship wins under your belt and you've went five times correct in your lifetime uh sure i think so i mean far as player and a coach yes. i mean i have two as a head coach one as an assistant coach that i won and then i obviously won as a player as well yep. so 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 cumulative of four i have two uh state runner up too that i was also part of one as a player and one as a coach so it's uh it's been a blessing yes yes and i was actually a part of three of those state runs as a ball boy and uh, manager. So, yeah, so he's – we're going to ask him a question about those state runs. And I want to ask you, what's the difference between going to state as a player and going to state as a coach? Well, you know, as a player, you just really – you're kind of just there with all the raw emotions. You've really got just one job to do, and that's to go play. And, you know, you can go out there and have fun and, you know, and – Win or lose, I mean, it's a, it's a great moment. It's a great experience. And then you, as a coach, you have so many other uh, responsibilities. You know, you really can't get to really enjoy it until it's all over with because, you know, you're, you're dealing with hotel rooms, transportation. You know, obviously, if you win, then there's practice times, meals. You know, a lot of things that, that a lot of people don't see behind the, behind the you know, closed doors. And you as a, a ball boy, you were able to come to the locker room before and after the games. And, you know, we were able to do those. That, that's great. It's fun. But, man, when it's time to prep and, and you have one week to prepare for one team, and if you win, you might have 24 hours to get ready for another team. If you're lucky, you might have 48 hours. But at the end of the day, I mean, I would never trade either one of those. I mean, everybody asks which one's better. I don't really know because as a player, you get to do it with your best friends. And as a coach, you get to see 15 kids, the cheerleaders, your community celebrate. And I think that, that to me is really the, ultimately the bigger accomplishment just to see your whole community come together. Yeah, it's, it's a great experience, that's for sure. Yeah, and like you said, as a player and as a coach, it's I'm sure like you really can't decide he'd take either one. So. Yeah, and I want to ask you about a specific state run. I'm going to ask you, what would you say in your lifetime was the most eventful state run that you've ever had? Well, I mean, eventful. I mean, I look back to, I mean, if, as a player or a coach. Either. Either. Hey, yeah. You know, as a senior in high school, I mean, that was an eventful state run because we beat some really, really good teams. The expectations were there. I think the 2016 team that I coached, expectations were always there because of who we had, who we were bringing back. But I would say probably the 2014 team because it was kind of like we'd made it to regionals two years in a row, and a guy like Martise Kimbrough was part of all those regional runs. And then for us to be able to make it there and then to knock off, you know, Goliath, as in Villanja St. Joe, when they have, you know, McDonald's All-American Carlton Bragg, Brian Parker, Derek Parton, you know, three guys that went Division One, pretty much unheard of. And that, that happens from one school, same class. And for us to be able to go in there and play our best basketball at that time of the year, I think it was extremely important. So that's why it was so eventful because of the run that we had. We were able to knock off Ottawa in the regionals, you know, because that was always the monkey on my back is that I couldn't get past Ottawa. And I thought 2014 was by far, it was a fun year. I was coaching a bunch of sophomores. 
that were led by a great group of seniors. You know, Martise Kimbrough was you know phenomenal during the state run, and just other guys that were part of that class. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely a very fun year to be a part of. Martise Kimbrough now, uh, as some people may know, he plays professional basketball in Spain. So. He's doing really well, and he mentioned the 2016 team in there. Uh, that consisted of Dantes Walton and Trey Cobbs, and who both play college basketball in Northern Kentucky right now. So that was definitely a fun year, very talented team, as we also uh, had Xavier Simpson on the team at that time. So fun run, uh, fun year. Like he said, David beating Goliath there with Villangelo St. Joe, who is definitely a very dominant, very good team. So. Yeah, now I'm going to ask you, um, not really about state, but back to uh, a difference between your playing and coaching. I want to ask you how you look at the game of basketball differently from when you were a player to when you're a coach now. I mean, as a player, I just went out and played. I didn't really think a whole lot. You know, I was just kind of a – I was a good athlete, blessed to be surrounded by – you know, I had three 1,000-point scores that I graduated with. You know, so I was able to just kind of just be me. I, I didn't really put a whole lot of time in my game. I mean, as far as, like, skill sessions – we didn't have those when we were growing up, you know, so to think of cones and, and doing those trash can drills, I can't imagine what kind of player I'd be then if we if I knew that at that point. But, you know, it's 23 years ago, and I just think as a player, I just went out and played. You know, I didn't really think a whole lot, uh, you know, as far as scouting report. I knew who I was supposed to guard. I knew what I was supposed to do. You couldn't ask for a better teammate because I didn't care how many minutes I got. I didn't care how many points I scored as long as we got the W. And as a coach, one game at a time. You know, I don't look ahead. Uh, we are in a non-conference. You know, we, we're every team's non-conference game. So for us, one through 22 regular season games, as long as we're getting better. I still remember during those tournament runs, you know, 2014, we had four losses. Three of them were last-second shots, and then we got drummed by Crestview. And they were all lessons that we learned. And I think looking back as, you know, sometimes those, those games were, they were just crushers to the kids. Like they were, they were down on themselves. I'm like, hey, it's one game. Yeah. You know, and as a player, you're like, oh, God, I wish I could have that game back. Time to move on. You know, so hopefully it sets you up for, hey, let's not let that happen in the tournament. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just what you got to build on as a coach. Yeah. One thing that uh, being around his program for uh, a while now, another thing that he emphasizes is defense. And he actually on – the practice jerseys of LCC, there's a love D sort of thing where defense is a big priority around here. And it's not only about scoring points, but you, because as people say, defense wins championships. And that's a very true statement. So I want you to talk, like, did you think about that more as a player than you do as a coach? Or is that something that you've developed along, like, the journey of basketball? Well, I think as a player, I mean, you're not always going to have your game in terms of scoring. You're not going to be able to shoot the ball every night. But I always feel like there's two things you can't control, and that's your energy and your, your attitude. Um, and when I say your attitude and your energy, it's more like your effort. Yeah. You, know, you, can't, you can always can control that. I mean, you're, you're not going to have good shooting nights. And that was me as a player. I mean, I wasn't the most skilled athletic guy, but I always took pride in shutting the best player down. Um, you know, I could, I felt like I could do that. And so as a, as a coach, when I came into this program 18 years ago, Coach Sagerson had it on his jerseys. And I thought that was one of the coolest things because it not only stands for, for defense, but it's, you know, it's the dedication, it's the d determination, the discipline that you have to have to play defense. Because everybody wants to jump the passing lane to get the run out, you know, lay up for a dunk. But what happens if you don't get it? 
now you've sold your team out. So you have to be disciplined when it comes to defense and know scouting report. You have to be able to know, is this guy going to be able to take me off the dribble because I'm not the fastest, but I can always be the smartest. And so I, I am a, a firm believer in defense and you know, trying to get kids to understand that like, you have to learn to be able to play defense if you want to play for me. Yep, it's very true. That's that's the thing though. Uh, in order to be a good offensive team, you got to have a good defense. So, uh, you mentioned uh, Coach Segerson there. Coach Bob Segerson was actually the varsity coach before Coach Kill. So I want you and Coach Kill actually was a assistant coach for him for a while. He actually won a state championship in 2010 as an assistant coach. I want you to explain the impact or the influence that Coach Segerson had on you and how it's affected how you coach now. Well, I think he he coached to everybody, whether you were rich in status or poor, middle class, black, white, bi, it didn't matter. He, he treated everybody as equal. He loved every one of his players. You know, I, I was able to watch him go through a situation where, you know, a kid had cancer and, you know, he, he embraced that kid so much that it just brought the whole team together. And it's one of those things as you won't see it because you're not in the practice. You know, he was hard on player A all the way to player, you know, D to see you know it didn't matter who you were and you know I know you know he he just had high expectations and he never lowered them and he was extremely compassionate towards towards his kids and that's just kind of what I really idolize is how he just embraced every one of his kids whether they were five years old to you know 18 years old some kid playing in the driveway like he'd go out of his way just to introduce himself to that kid and and you know maybe that was just his way of like introducing himself to maybe someday I might be able to coach that kid so He's just one of those guys that I still look up to today because of, of his knowledge and the way that he was able to handle adversity. I don't know how he handled those those early, you know, 1991, 92, 93 losses. You know, I probably would have jumped off the deep end because those were some tough times. And for me to be able to watch him walk away in the sunset with the state trophy in his hand was absolutely priceless. Like you couldn't have scripted it any better. And I was able to, and I love that. I embraced it. He he actually embraced me to take over this program. Um, I feel like we have a lot of things in common, and I, and I think that's why one reason why I think I've been pretty successful is because I've had his same mentality of kind of embracing every kid that's walked through here. Yeah. Yeah, Coach, Coach Sagerson definitely left a good legacy at LCC. So now we're going to talk more about your coaching. And one thing that Coach Sagerson always said was stay in the box. He He's meant that as if a player, once you step on the floor, it's go time and don't don't try don't get distracted but stay in that box of the floor so I want you to explain really this is gonna how you expect your players to act not only play but act on the floor well I think uh you know your character is revealed through tough times and adversity and let's face it sports brings a lot of adversity and you know you how you respond to it is how you're going to respond a lot of times in life, whether it's controversy, whether it's, you know, not being able to work with another partner or, or teammate, classmate, someone in the work world, you got to be able to work. And I think my philosophy is don't lower your standards. And I've always said that to my kids, you know, I use that same terms of staying inside the box because don't let someone get to you, you know, especially the basketball court. I mean, that's like your sanctuary. You know, go out there and play the game that you love, but don't let someone in the stands or on the bench get in your head. And I think it's just uh, when you talk about your character, it's revealed, especially in losing. You know, I think you, if you're going to be a good winner, you also have to learn how to lose. Because you, if you learn how to lose, you appreciate winning. Like I always tell my kids, I hate losing more than I love winning. 
but that's life. You know, life, you know, we think about losing in life and death. Like, I don't want to see anybody die. I don't care if you're my worst enemy. I love everybody. And I, I truly want my kids to feel my love, but I also want them to feel my passion for the game and understand that there's a respect factor. There's a respect factor, whether it's for the opposing team, the officials, you know, the crowd. I mean, you could walk into Ottawa and, or Delphus. I'm pretty much, you know, public enemy number one. And so I get it, but that's sports. And, but that's also life and that you're going to rub people the wrong way, but make sure you have a positive impact towards them. Yep. Yep. That's very true statement right there. And his, his players on the floor, like you said, just stay who you are. Don't get caught up in the moment. Don't let anyone try and mess with your game, whether that's on the bench or in the stands. So you talked about a rivalry there, like walking into Delphus or walking into Ottawa. I want you to talk about do you address your players any different for a big game, whether that's a big rivalry like that or whether that's just a playoff game? Like, do you address them any different for that for a big game like that than, like, regular games? Well, I mean, it does. There is a different impact because, let's face it, you go to Ottawa half to, by the halftime of the JV game, it's pretty much sold out. So <laughs> it is a little different than versus, you know, going to, you know, an away game. Let's just use say Lida. Mm-hmm. Not to say Lida is not a big rivalry game. It's just the type of following in, in the in the uh, atmosphere that you're into. You know, Ottawa's a smaller gym versus Elida, but you know you got to be able to stay in the box and not get so get all emotional about it. But take every game and get better. You know, can you walk away saying, "Did I get better this game?" Because if you walked away saying you got better that game, we probably won. Because if if we got beat by a a better team, whether we played our best or our worst they were still going to beat us. Um, so tournament game, yeah, tournament game is a little different because as I, I probably coach a little differently too. You know, I might shrink the bench, you know, not play as many subs uh, versus a, you know, like I said, a regular season game, whether I win or lose, it's not that big of a deal as long as we got better. Of course I want to win, mm-hmm. um, but as long as we got better, that's yep. it. Yeah, so so you're still talking about in the box. That's really on the floor. And I want to ask you, how do you expect your players – that aren't playing, how do you expect them to act on the bench and as and how to be like a good teammate? How do you expect them to act even when they're not playing? Well, you know, I saw a quote. Uh, I don't know if it was Jim Valvano or one of the legendary coaches, John Wooden. I can't remember who it was, but he said, I'm looking for eight basketball players, and, and this is going to come out completely wrong, but it, it is true, but five damn good cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Not so much cheerleaders, but, but teammates that are going to support you whether you play or you don't play. And I've been on both ends. It's, it's not easy sitting on the bench while you watch your, your, your brothers go out there and play the game while you just practice with them all week. It's not easy to do that, and especially in today's world of 2020 because everybody wants a piece of the pie. At the end of the day, you know, every kid comes to practice. I mean, I dress 15 kids. I can only play five. So that means 66% of the kids that are on the bench are not starting the game. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm probably playing half the team because I typically play seven or eight kids. You know, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, and so as, as a coach, you try to get kids to buy in. I can't promise you anything, but that doesn't mean what, what, I, what happened this week couldn't change for next week. It's, it's not – you don't get paid enough as a coach because at the end of the day, you, you, really, can't, uh, you really can't play everybody. Because mm-hmm. if you do, your number one kid who needs to play 25 to 20 minutes is now playing 15 he's going to be upset because he should be playing more. But at the end of the day, 
Um, that, that's why I'm the head coach, and it's it's my responsibility. But typically, if you're the bottom, you know, the bottom guys that aren't playing, hopefully you're having fun and being the best teammate ever. Yeah, and that's that's what it's all about. So uh, yeah, if you're if you're not playing and you, you still want to be the teammate that everyone loves and you support your guys while you're still on the bench and you're really in the game so that that's that's what makes you a better person and a better teammate so um i'm gonna uh, ask you in the off season so how do you expect not only your players but just players in general what what would you say is the best way that you can improve your game in the off season well i mean let's face it right now off season is may june and july august comes around i mean you know, for like you, you're a football player. I wouldn't expect you to be getting better during August because you're playing a sport that you should be, you know, hard at work in. You know, June and July are basically a time to say, hey, do I have an hour to spare, you know, to get better? And whether it's dribbling, whether it's shooting properly, uh, weightlifting, um, I'm not worried about conditioning because, you know, you're going to go play football for three months. And at the end of the day, football lasts about eight seconds and then you get a 35-second break. So not even worried about the conditioning, more worried about the weightlifting. But if you know, as a basketball player, you can always have a ball in your hand, whether it's dribbling at home, just shooting, getting into a park, playing, you know, playing tough basketball, whether it's going to the Bradfield Center, the Y, Rob Park, you know, playing pickup. Because kids today, you know, pickup is it's fun, but there's so many courts, so really you don't ever have to sit out. You know, I, I just remember, you know, growing up, I played noon ball at, during lunch in the summer. If you wanted to get on, you know, one, you had to make a free throw. And if you won, you held the court. If you lost, you probably had 15 people that you had to worry about in front of you before you could play next. So the grind of never wanting to lose is huge. And so, you know, we play this, you know, here at school, we'll play one-on-one. Like if you miss a shot, it's the other kid's ball. Well, you didn't get a rebound. So that to me is just a wussification. Like, I don't like it because it's just like, you didn't earn it. I missed it. So what? I could have got a rebound. You didn't stop me. I stopped myself. So I think today kids are a little softer, you know, mm-hmm. don't work as hard. But I have been able to watch, you know, kids in my past 10 years, you know, I could probably count on my hands and toes how many kids would come in at 6 o'clock in the morning by themselves mm-hmm. because they want to get better. Yeah. And that's that's the – difference between a good player and a great player the ones that are willing to work and the ones that are willing to get up and really get better so I'm going to ask you more on uh, the game side of things Uh, what part of basketball would you say would be in a game that make or break thing that could cause your team from winning and losing that that maybe that one little small detail that can take a team from winning a game to losing a game what what would you say that is well, you kind of said it yourself. You know, paying attention to details. You, know, you could run a you could run a play that that's set up for three or four passes, and if you don't get to that fourth pass because one kid didn't do his job, could make or break a game. You know, I think of opportunities that we that we've had over the years where you know we had to set up a last second play. I think of like the state tournament in 2014 where you know we scored eight points at the end of we scored three at the end of the first. Uh, three at the end of the second, and two at the end of the third. So there's eight points because of, of one play that we ran to attention to detail. Martise was in the right spot first and second quarter. X got in the ball. And then in the third quarter, Corey Stewart knocked down a huge 15-footer because he was at the right place at the right time. You know, so at, at the end of the day, paying attention to details is extremely important. So, Yeah. yeah. 
that's very those small little details those are the kind of things you also work on in practice uh, so you can get better so we're, we're going to uh, step away from the coaching side of you and you you went to school at Lincoln View and you, that's a public school you grew up at a public school but now you're at the Catholic school of Lima Central Catholic and you also teach theology so you're also a religion teacher I want to ask you uh, what led you from being going to a public school your whole life to now being a theology teacher at LCC? You know, I was raised Catholic. I went to a Catholic elementary school in Van Wert, St. Mary's, but that's K through six. And I don't know, when I went to junior high and high school, I, I always took pride. I, I mean, I was, I was always a proud Catholic to, to be who I was, you know, kind of, it didn't separate myself, but there weren't many Catholics at, at Lincoln View. And, you know, when it come to like Lent and Advent, you know, there was like special times and especially during like Lent, you know, you give up a Lenten promise and can't eat meat on Fridays. And so I was kind of looked at the weird kid. Why are you eating peanut butter jelly when everybody else is eating, you know, tenderloins? Who does that? But going to college, you know, I was really exposed that I didn't really know my faith like others did. And one of my best friends was Seth Newlove. He used to be the girls' head coach at Arlington. Um, you know, he took me to, it was called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I always went to those meetings, and we had a great instructor. He was one of our assistant coaches on the basketball team. His name was Marv Retcher. Love him dearly just because I feel like people in life direct you, and God puts you in places where people can surround you to make good decisions. And I look back, and I feel like God did surround me with good people to keep me close to my faith. And, you know, when I got, when I got out of college, you know, I was, I was working at a, basically a sex offender facility, working with 14 to 18-year-olds, and I, and I was an elementary education major. And I remember uh, my cousin, Rick Stolle, you know, uh, he just said, hey, I think we have a position open for at LCC teaching phys ed. I'm like, oh, I could do that. Two weeks later, he's like, well, you have to teach religion. And I'm like, religion? Okay, <laughs> I took a Hebrew scripture class in college, and that was about it at that point. But, you know, I, I did have my Catholic faith, and here I am 18 years later teaching what I love. And, you know, I took three years off to be the athletic director, mm -hmm. but I truly knew there was something missing. And I, and I look back at all the people that I was surrounded with. I had two really good friends in high school that were, you know, they were devout Christians, uh, they live their faith. They they definitely walk their faith every day. If you met them, you knew they were good people, and I just admired that. And I and that's kind of who I want to be because I, I admire them. And I I just look back at how, how God has put me in a position to be here to, hopefully, inspire kids. Like, you don't have to be a holy roller to be a good person or to be a good Christian. You're going to make mistakes. I mean, that's what the church is for. The church is a hospital for sinners. I mean, so at the end of the day. I go to church, I try to do my best to lead my family there, to, to be an example for my family, to my players. You know, we go to Mass, you know, every, every game day. If we not, we have a prayer service. So that's been one of the biggest influences in my life and how God has placed me in my position because I feel like God works in mysterious ways and he puts people like me to do that. Yeah, so that, that shows that God really does exist in people's lives and he really does lead people back to him and no matter what way that is whether that's them becoming a religion teacher or that's them just finding their way back to church so that I love that's how God works and like you said God God works in mysterious ways and we never know what's coming so we're going to jump back into basketball and we're going to jump into more of a coaching thing here coaches do this very differently and I want to hear how you do it so let's say a player misses 
practice unexcused. Um, how, what what do you do to address that player, or it, it, like even if it's just not even a practice, but they missed something or they did something wrong? How, how do you address and deal with that player? My first year, I never had team rules or team guidelines. Just I just assume every kid knew what their responsibility were. And the second year, man, I not so much had many kids like skip practice, but late to practice. And you know, what are the consequences? And so. I expect everybody to be here, and so does their teammates. And I make that a pro- I make that an emphasis at the beginning of the year that, like, hey, look around. These 15 kids that are in here all expect everybody to be here to work so we can get better. And now I have now a, a contract that everyone signs at the beginning of the year. Parents and players, they all sign it. You know, like, if you're one unexcused absence, typically is, is a one-game suspension. And when I say typically, I feel like every situation is different. Every, some, something comes up. Um, you know, where the kid has to come home because mom or dad wanted them to. And their phone shut off. You know, they don't have any minutes left. It's, you know, so unexcused, sure. But I'm a little compassionate more nowadays than what I was 10 years ago. You know, Frank killed 10 years ago, probably would have kicked him off the team. No, you're not wanted. But now I'm a little more understanding. Like I said, more compassionate towards my kids. A little empathy goes a long way because you have to have an understanding of where they're coming from. You know, not everybody comes from a family like what you and I have in terms of a mom and a dad because some of them go home to empty houses. Some some kids go home to a house where that mom, mom lives there, but she's working third shift or second shift. You know, so they have to fend for their, themselves. And so I try to be a little more understanding. But when it comes to discipline, you know, I'm in charge. And that if there's a problem, you should come to me. And if there is a problem, I'm going to come to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, a lot of coaches do that differently, and that's how he does it. So, uh, like he said, if he's he's often uh, he like he said he's gotten better over the years. But if there's a time when you just decide you just want to just miss because you don't feel like getting up or you're just being lazy, uh, that's like he said probably a one game suspension. We're gonna have a problem if you're yeah. just gonna miss just a miss. So <laughs> yeah. If you stayed home and co- played Call of Duty and you know because a new map came out, you know. We're gonna have we're gonna fight. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that'll cause problems. So at about 28 minutes here, so uh, I want to talk to you. Uh, I, I include this in every single one of my episodes. Um, it's try to keep it a different question, but it's gonna involve food. Okay. Uh, so I want to ask you. So as a basketball coach, and you talked about earlier, you you knew guys that really worked hard and would get up at six in the morning to come practice. And as a lot of people say, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. What would you say is a good type of meal that you can have for breakfast to really get you going for the rest of your day? I mean, now that I'm a little older, I probably would do a lot of eggs and a lot of high protein. You know, I remember I got to college and I, I never went on, I never got on the uh, uh, creatine, but I did a lot of protein. And protein to me builds builds muscle. And, you know, so a lot of eggs, a lot of ham, meat, turkey, you know, cheese, you know, whether it's scrambled, whether it's an omelet, whether it's some sort of wrap, mm-hmm. that's what I do. I mean, so I, I've, I got TikTok just recently. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, TikTok showed, like, this really cool way to make this wrap. And, then, like, you crack three eggs, put them in the, uh, put them in the skillet, let it cook about two-thirds, three-fourths weight done, then you throw a wrap on top of it, and then you flip it, and then you add all your toppings in there. So as an athlete, it would be perfect because, one, it, f- it fills you up. Mm-hmm. It's full of protein. Um, like I said, meat, cheese, 
and eggs, that's what you're going to need to start your day. Now, when I was in high school, I didn't really, I really didn't have like much of a diet. I just, I had a seafood diet. You see it and eat it. You know, yeah. <laughs> mom put it on the table. I never had to worry about losing weight or gaining weight because I mean I had such a high metabolism and I could never put anything. I remember I could go to McDonald's and get like three Big Macs, large fry, and a large Coke, and throw in two apple pies, and I wouldn't feel it. I eat that today. I'm probably have to change in pant size. <laughs> so, I mean, my pregame bill was uh, a pizza burger from the truck stop with French fries and chocolate pudding. Oh yeah. So. I love food, you know, yeah. so what, if the food loves me and I love it, I mean, I'm going to go out and have a great game. Yeah, exactly. So that's how he explained. He said a lot of protein, protein builds muscles. So that's how he looks at it, and I, I could, couldn't agree more. So another thing here, I want to ask you back in the coaching, uh, what, what are your expectations, not like for next season, but even in the seasons after, what's your expectation going into a, a year of basketball? Well, you have to look at who's who's returning, uh, what you have. So, next year we we lost a four-year point guard, uh, Biggs Johnson. He, you know, he's currently I think eighth in school history in scoring, uh, like 30 points shy of a thousand. So we're, we're going to miss his ability to score. You know, losing him has been is going to be huge because he's had the ball in his hands for the last four years. Now. What's great is you got guys like Nate Stolle, Rossi Moore, Sean Thomas, who's played for the last two years as well. Now it's going to be their turn. And I feel like guys like Evan Unruh, who played 11 games last year for us, will have even a better job of stepping up and, and getting you know playing in that role. Or you look at the the freshman, the, the you know, freshman last year, upcoming sophomores. I mean, Payne Cutlip was a, a heck of a player. Uh, or, hey, you know, what if I shot in the dark and, you know, DeMar Foster, you mm-hmm. know, steps out there because the the point guard position is a huge position for any team. you got to have a good point guard. But, you know, I, I love the fact that I got Nate and Evan with a lot of experience returning. But so it all depends on who's returning and what you got. I mean, because let's face it, going into 2016 and 17 season, expectations were let's just try to win, you yeah. know. Um, and we struggled. Why? Because we graduated 96% of our offense from the year before. So when you're only returning 4%, expectations are always low. Yep, that's that's true. So that that's how you go into a game. Uh, yeah, obviously you need to know who's returning. So one last thing here. I like to end all of my episodes with some sort of motivation or inspiration for the people listening. So I'm going to ask you just – if you could leave these people off with inspiration or any type of motivation, what would you say? You know, there's all kinds of cliche sayings. You know, I, the one I always like, and I, I sign off on every one of my cards that I write to people in terms of keeping the faith. It's just who I am. But the other one I liked when I was in college, you know, I was a six-foot-four post player in college, and, and I believe as Archie Griffin always says, it's not the size of the dog in the fights, the fight in the dog. And, and to me, that's the biggest thing when it comes to being an athlete and a competitor. It's how much fight do you really have? You know, a lot of people bark, but their bite's weak. You know, and, and if I was one guy to go into a fight, I feel like I'd have an advantage just because, like, I'm never going to quit. You know, I, I, I feel like that's just the biggest thing. And so when I was, when I was in college, I always said I was never going to be outworked. Uh, I remember getting my tail kicked in my freshman year because I was underweight. Like I said, I was about 185, 195-pound post player, and I said I would never let that happen again. And, it, and not saying I didn't get scored on or dominated, I just always fought. And I made sure I used all five of my fouls because you can't take them with you. But I always felt like 
I was never going to be the guy that says, man, I just got dominated tonight. And I felt like when I was in college, I worked extremely hard for the size of the guy that I was. Typically garden guys that were 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but they knew they were they, they knew I was going to give them their best. And so as a kid in today's world, always know someone's out there getting better. And that's why you got to keep the faith and continue to grind. Yep. You heard it here first. So like you said, continue grinding, continue working, and it'll work out in the end. So happy we could have you on here, Coach. Uh, I thank you for meeting me so we could do this interview. So I appreciate that. Well, Bill, it's always a pleasure. And, you know, these, these are these are times where during this corona and this pandemic and stuff that we can talk about this stuff now because we're going to look back in 2020 and we're like, well, we're going to be glad that's gone. Yeah. Dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so – so that'll do it for today. Uh, like I said, we thank him for being on here. Uh, I pray all of you stay safe and that you have a great day and God bless.